Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ricky, James, and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hello, Steph. Hello, Steph. Okay, indeed. Well, look, we are where we are. Five games to go, five games left, two points behind Arsenal in the race for that fourth Champions League spot. As I speak, we, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, are still in control of our own destiny. Win all of our remaining five matches, and we will take that fourth spot. All other observations are not 100% factually accurate. This is. So as we look back at the 0-0 draw against Brentford last Saturday, we will be focusing on how we might achieve factual accuracy and what Antonio Conte can do to get us firing in the last third again before delving into the world of possibilities and equations, aka the Premiership Top 4 Race Twilight Zone. That is, we will delve into the world of possibilities and equations, the Premiership Top 4 Race Twilight Zone, I am sure that Antonio is already doing it feverishly. So, chaps, that's on the menu. But first of all, as usual, we start with the intro question. And this week, I would like to know, what is the funniest nickname of someone that you have met? Ricky, why don't you kick us off? Um, I've got no real great classics. I mean, because I play quite a bit, of, a bit of football. Obviously, in the dressing room, a lot of people have got nicknames in there. So there was some, there was The Monk, um, Weasel. Wide screen was another one because his head was very flat and wide. And uh, <laughs> you, you played with Maguire. <laughs> Pardon? You played with Maguire, did you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> very much like that. Yeah, um, but um, I think the one that tickles me a little bit is um, my old mate Rick, who's actually no longer with us. He died. He he passed away, and he, you know he's of no age either. But he had very kind of um, slight shoulders. But he had a bit of a he had a bit of a kind of big rounded belly that stuck out. So he was known as Pear Drop in the old. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that's one for the teenagers, but that's like a sweet <laughs> of the old days that would come in a kind of a red or yellow flavour. And that was his silhouette, I think, if you stood sideways. So he was called Pear Drop. From Pear Drop to Milo. Well, similar. So not not a close friend. This is an acquaintance, someone I met once or twice, but um used to know a rather large uh, taxi driver called Malcolm, who was known by everyone as Malcolm XXL. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, well, an, an obvious one then, you're saying. Nothing imaginative <laughs> there. <laughs> I mean, it's fairly funny. obvious. Malcolm XXL. It's because, you know, I suppose, I don't know. James, come on, come on, come on. What you got? I don't think I've got any classics, but I mean, I was at boarding school for seven years and you and you end up calling each other pretty awful things generally. I think the most non-offensive one was a guy called uh, Matty Rice and um, we all called him Baz, Baz Matty Rice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that is, oh, you had to explain it. I'm sorry, I'm a bit sorry. I know, because I looked at your faces and you clearly didn't get it. But it was... <laughs> Baz Matty Rice is good, that's good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I I thought, uh, yeah, I, I've been trying to. Th- I was racking my brains. I mean, there's so many. You hear so many stupid nicknames, don't you? As you say, Ricky, in, in, in football, there's all sorts on the pitch and so on. And uh, actually, I have to say, Slabhead is is a favourite of mine in, in football parlance. He's fucking absolutely brilliant um, for for Harry Maguire. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus in on a friend of mine called Neil Perry. Great guy, a fellow scribe um, uh, over the decades, and. Uh, our mutual friend uh, and one of my best friends, uh, Jim Martin, um, who played guitar in Faith No More. Uh, we would hang out a lot back in the day. I'm talking you know, quite some time ago. And Neil is a man of diminutive stature, but he's got a pigeon chest. Like So he'd walk with his shoulders down, his chest out. And he always had a thin gleam 
of sweat on his forehead, sometimes due to uh, ingestion issues, if you will. Well, they weren't issues for him. He was having a great time. And so one day, Jim just went up to him and he said, I got a new name for you, buddy. Greasy Chester. And he just prodded his chest over and over. You're Greasy Chester. Greasy Chester. Like that. And it was so juvenile and it stuck, right? And so, I mean, for decades, Neil was Greasy Chester and possibly still is. But that was a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to stick with that one. The best football one is one size, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't think I know that one. Fitzhall. From Palace. Palace. Oh, dear. The innocence with which uh, that is very good. That is very good. Oh, dear. Well, very good. With that, with one size fits all. You never thought you'd hear Fitzhall's name three or four times on a Tottenham podcast. We're breaking records here. Was Fitzhall any good, by the way? I can't remember. No, I can't remember. No. Was he sent half, been... he? Yeah, he's... Oh. With a name like that, he sounds like a potential wingback. Or have I just got wingbacks on the brain right now? Probably, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Fitz Hall, did he play for Palace? Yeah, I think he played for Palace. Here we go. Um... I think, hold up, hold up. With Googling. <laughs> well, it's an important thing. Oldham, Southampton, Palace, Wigan, QPR, Newcastle United, Watford. So that's five different sets of supporters singing one size at him. That's 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 impressive. Defender stroke striker. How was it? Defender strike striker, did you say? Chris Sutton. Ala Chris Sutton, probably, yeah. Wow. Fitzall, how many games did he play as a professional, Milo? It's quite exciting. Uh, 290. Oh, 290, 290 appearances, yet he still commands in the game is about Glory's opinion, the greatest football nickname in football history ever. Mm. That's quite a that's quite a feat. Fitzhall, <laughs> one size, we salute you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, now it is time to look back at the week that was. Uh, we'll start with Oliver Skip's new contract, which was signed last Wednesday, a five-year contract running until 2027. It is rumoured to double his wages to £70,000 a week. Uh, in the interview that Skip did on Spurs TV to mark the occasion, he also spoke about the injury that has been keeping him out recently and said that it dates back to a painkilling injection he had back in September. The Athletic have reported that he got an infection following the injection and it appears that the cure is antibiotics and time. Let's hope that we see him again very soon. And congratulations to Alfie Dorrington, who has signed his first professional contract with the club. The central defender who turned 17 last week joined our academy at the age of 13 and became a scholar last summer. What a great thing, isn't it, lads? When you see uh, hear news like that, beginning of a journey that, you know, it could end up at the Bernabeu with us beating Real Madrid if, you, if it goes well, right? I love the way we've gone back to a generation of footballers that with names that sound like kind of pre-war footballers. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? What a great name. <laughs> Alfie Dorrington you know, must have turned out for Preston North End in 1935 or something. Yeah. It's very Michael Payne in ripping yarns isn't it yeah <laughs> he just does this image yeah good no well well observed indeed what a name alfie we salute your name <laughs> even though you had no choice in it um on a rather more serious note um in memory of the tragic passing of our under 23 coach ugo echiog in 2017 lawrence gant head of Academy Sports Medicine and Science at Spurs, cycled between the five football clubs Echiel played for during five days in April. Starting at Glasgow Rangers, Gant headed to Middlesbrough, Leeds, Sheffield United and arrived at Villa Park on Saturday, April 9th, ahead of our Premier League match against Villa. And the final leg of his journey saw Lawrence cycle from Villa Park to our very own training ground. Gant said 
and I quote, Ugo is one of the most inspirational people I've ever had the privilege of knowing. Football is an amazing sport that not only allows people to exercise, but to also join a community providing support and help to others at all levels. Through the challenge, I am hoping to raise money in his memory to deliver defibrillators and training to grassroots football so we can support people of all ages to play and enjoy football safely. I'd like to further recommend an absolutely superb article in The Athletic from April by Charlie Eccleshare about Ugo's influence and legacy at the lane. Um, I, I'm in the word game, as you lads know. And let me tell you, his his piece, um, it had me close to tears. Uh, so uh, just a, a shout out to you, Mr. Eccleshare. It's great, great work. And anyone who hasn't read it should. It will really tell you. Uh, the legacy that Ugo left and the influence that he had it's 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 quite a it's quite an amazing piece so please look it up uh, I implore you so Brentford the bees I mean where do we start it was a nil nil draw so the optimists would say a point gained a point more than we gained the week before uh, the pessimists would say two points dropped Let's start with the team selection. And of course, I'm going to go to you on this, Milo, uh, the team selection. Thoughts, please? Not really many surprises. I mean, you know, as we've said before, there's only a you know, handful of players that it appears that Conte trusts. Um, you know, the only change was Cessignon coming in for Reguilón, which is something that we'd called, you know, suggested, called out uh, kind of last on last week's episode. You know, as it happens, I don't think there was much between them. Uh, but, you know, Reguilón hasn't been in great form recently. Cessignon was okay at best but it appears that there are kind of limited options for Conte in terms of you know who he rates who he trusts uh, you know who he's going to select so I don't see a lot of changes coming really yeah and Ricky how did you feel about Brentford's approach to the game Uh, and you know did you feel that it was particularly effective or did we make it look more effective than it was (sighs) Possibly a little bit of that, but I think, um, I don't know if any of you saw the um, Chris, Christian Eriksen done a post-Sky interview after the game for about five mm. minutes. Do you want to see that? Yeah. And he said, um, obviously, he's got good knowledge of Conte with his intertime. And he said it, he said himself he'd never been involved so much in the structure set up uh, yeah. uh, previous to the game. Obviously, helping Thomas Franks with it. But I would say the actual game itself, it wasn't... If they had a game plan that was similar to Brighton and Villa, I wouldn't say they were executing it as, as effectively as they were. And they certainly weren't uh, doing it in a Villa type where they were being physical with us. And I did felt that although they were having, although they were playing quite open football and they were obviously putting pressure on us, the, like the ball was still getting to Bentacor and Hoiberg. Mm. I didn't think it was as closing and suffocating as it was when, they, when the other teams had closed off those kind of um, linking lanes between our defence and our midfield. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think I'd split Brentford's approach into two halves. So they came out quite quick and they were pressing us, but it was a bit, I'd say it was a bit chaotic. It was messy and disrupting us rather than, um, you know, structured. And they they certainly weren't mm. doing what Brighton had done the week before, which was, and Villa as well, which was just to shut off the passing lanes to um, to Benton, Benton Kerr and, and Hoybier. I mean, in terms of passes... Hoybier made 79 passes versus 51 against Brighton. Benton Kerr made 68 compared to 46 against Brighton. So they saw a lot more of the ball. In the second half, I thought Brentford dropped back. They, you know, they had 10 men behind the ball when we were in possession and just crowded us out. And, you know, that's that's the other tactic that we struggled with is uh, teams that sit deep and have men around the ball and deny us space. 
and we didn't have a didn't have a lot of ways through it, which is you know been a problem with us for a while. So James, we've, we've established that you know this was um, you know it was the third game on the trot where we struggled, but you know the problems were maybe a little dissimilar between games. They weren't quite the same, um, and we have already opened up the Christian Eriksen portion of this conversation. So I'm going to jump to that and bring you in here. Um, just to throw in, I felt that actually his work in the first half was brilliant. He just mm. is so good at closing down any potential passing alley in the last third. I mean, he's so good. He was patrolling deep, picking up mm. from deep. He was, I mean, he was wonderful. And he really, I thought was if he's not on the pitch i i think that we 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 wear them down quite easily but he's just such a smart footballer how did you feel he did james yeah i mean in a, in a game where it, there was an overall lack of quality from most players he shone you know far brighter than anyone else like his you're right he closes down space um he's 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 back to being extremely fit and lean for someone who's been through what he's been through in the last year but i mean his his long ball passing in that game in the first half was excellent he was picking people out at will and yeah to be honest if I'd say he probably still was the man of the match but particularly in the first half he was um he was the difference maker and if he was on if he was in a uh, I was going to say a white shirt but a purple shirt I think we probably would have won that game quite comfortably because we we seemed to struggle from a lack of Ericsson creativity which he was giving to them but they didn't have the players to to kind of finish it yeah, I was just going to say, because I think on the coverage I was watching, they showed, um, they put Ericsson's touch map up and literally it was scattered all the way across the field. And I think he said in that interview as well that Franks gives him quite a free role. And he's just looking all the time to help his team, to collect it off people, collect it, you know, left and right in the centre and just kind of scheming really. And I mean, I suppose he did that for us, but um, I, was, I wasn't surprised, but it's nice to see him doing a bit more of a kind of deeper role doing that for Brentford, mm-hmm. I think. And I don't know whether he could, because you might worry about him defensively, but I think he's smart enough as well to, to, close, to close lanes off as well. And, and under, well, he understands the game fully, doesn't he? And it, it makes you think, you know, if he does play for whatever team, it could be as a 10 or as a 4 or an 8 or whatever in those kind of midfield, however you'd want to play him. I think much like Delhi when he, in his prime for us, I think that his defensive contribution was much uh, unappreciated actually for us in particular. And that's why that mistake against Man City that nearly led to the goal that was vied out was so frustrating because it was so rare for him to make such a stupid move at that moment of the game in a defensive situation. So I wasn't that surprised by that, to be fair. Um, and, but I agree with you. He could perform, I mean, a much deeper role consistently for anyone. Yeah, I, compl- I agree. I mean, he was part of the best pressing side we've ever had. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing like that, you can't carry passengers. You have to do it as a unit. Mm-hmm. I think if we were playing him centrally, then he'd have to be playing as part of a midfield three. You couldn't play him in a two, I don't think. But, you know, the question about, you know, he's being linked with us, you know, should, should we consider him? I think on a three, you know, considering we're going to have a lot of business to do this summer, we have a lot of players to bring in. And there's going to be quite a lot of churn, which carries risks in itself. It, you know, it can take players a while to settle, uh, to learn the system, particularly with a you know, manager who's um, kind of so prescriptive in terms of what he wants. Um, so Ericsson on a free seems like smart business. I'm not normally a fan of going back for players or players returning to a club. But in these circumstances, you know, he understands Conte's system. Um, we could play him in a midfield three. He'd also be you know really good cover for, for Decky at the moment. You're looking at Mora there, who isn't a particularly good fit. Ericsson playing in that position feels natural to me. Let me ask everyone, we've ascertained that Thomas Frank gives him this free role to patrol, maraud, create 
destroy whatever he feels he needs to do. As you said, James, he looks, I mean, he looks in peak condition. I, I think he looks in the best condition he has since 2016, 17. He looks fantastically fit. Why would Christian Eriksen come back to us? A, with the history of the last year and a half, uh, reportedly um, battles with the, the, the upper echelons of the club and not the management per se. And also, why would he come back to a club where he's going to be playing in this Loctite system? Do we, do we really think that he would choose that over what he's got right now? I think a lot of it probably depends on whether or not we end up getting top four, because I think he, he's still capable of playing at that top level. He knows that. Um, and, you know, Brentford have been an amazing stepping stone for him back from his his health situation back into, you know, decent flight football. And next season, I think he hasn't got time to waste. So he's going to want to go to a club that he can get Champions League again. And you, you, you raise a good point though, Steph. I mean, he's coming to a more restricted role if he comes back to Tottenham, but he's also coming to a, a hopefully a very decent team playing in the top tier football. I mean, the rumour is that he wants to stay in London, I think. So, I mean, if it wasn't us, because we're not in the top four, that leaves Chelsea and Arsenal, because... It's probably Arsenal that are going to be in the top four if it's not us. So, um, and he's not going to stay at Brentford? You really don't think he's going no, to stay he at could Brentford? could do. I mean, there's a lot of Danish people at Brentford, so he might be really comfortable there. And he like, and Thomas right. Frank seems a nice bloke and a clever bloke to, to play football for, doesn't he? You can respect him. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. Um, I mean, as Milo says, it makes a lot of sense with us as well. I mean, he knows the club. He knows Conte. And he wants to stay in London. And so, I mean, from our point of view as well, he gets up to speed quite quickly on all those fronts, which is quite rare for a player that's incoming. Yeah, I mean, I think him and Conte have got a good relationship. They're they're meant to be very close. Um, So I don't think Conte's style of football is necessarily going to be an issue. I mean, his primary concern is going to be getting enough games to be part of the Danish squad for the World Cup, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what he's going to be looking for. Um, That's what I think. But if we're in Europe next season, he's going to get plenty of games. I think you know what we're talking about here is him being you know, potentially one of three in central midfield, or covering, um, or pl- you know, playing on the right of a, um, a front three. He'll get plenty of games there. We're going to ro- we're going to need to rotate. So I don't think that's necessarily an issue. And, you know, he's coming into a system he understands. Bearing in mind our kind of perceived problems that we haven't got maybe a plan B, the kind of three five two tweak from the three four three tweet is the really easy kind of one to tweak. And yeah. and he can play behind the two up front or he can play in that double pivot and someone else play the 10 if we have to. Because I think especially when we're playing teams, let's say the rest of the team's functioning a bit better. When we're playing the teams that are so-called the lesser teams, he can do like what he was doing in the Brentford game against us, really. Yeah, yeah just, we, don't, just... we, don't need, we don't need to question what we, he can do. We know that. We need to question whether we think he will come here and do it, <laughs> I think is yeah. the question. Yeah. Um, that being said, I hope that you're all right. I, usually the optimist of the bunch, I uh, am going to say I don't think it's going to happen myself, but I would like to offer congratulations to every single one of our away supporters as, as, as they deserve. Congratulations week in, week out, by the way. But that was a spine tingling moment to watch him go and take that first corner and the second one after that and the reception he got. I mean, it's as close as you could have got, I'm sure, to getting inside a player's head in the right way. That's got to have hit him straight if you're and I don't mean this ironically it's got to have hit him in the heart it's a heartfelt thing he must have felt it uh it must have the other one was when they were in the tunnel before they came out and he went up to all of his ex-teammates and um gave them all yeah. a, a pat and um yeah there's there's yeah. clearly a lot of um 
you know affection and you know kind of friends within yeah. the squad and I, i'm not sure about you know the issues you see there steph i think you know they're pro- they're professional footballers and um you know we were willing to sell him but they, you know the bids weren't coming in and um you know his relationship primarily is going to be with you know the coaches and and, and his teammates and i don't see an issue there but I, let's see let's i hope see. you're right i i hope you're right uh, just to close off and I, I will have the last word on this if you don't mind i say it on the basis of the fact that he has gone through a serious life-changing moment and i one of my best friends uh, had heart transplant in 2020 himself and having witnessed what it's done to him as a person which is very positive in terms of his outlook on life he was always a positive person but it's definitely also changed his perspective slightly on his future mm. and what he sees um and the these things do become a lot more holistic and maybe a, uh, you know a lot more existential in a way as well. I just wonder if Christian Eriksen has gone that path. It is, as I say, conjecture, which makes a fool of everyone really in the end, doesn't it? Because I don't know. I hope you're all right. How's that? <laughs> um, yeah. And I hope he does come back to us because I think it would be fantastic. Um, but, you know, going on from what he could bring to us um, versus the, the stagnation we're in right now when it comes to actually creating chances, how much of the problem is down to hitting poor form at the wrong time? Let's start there first. Fingers on the buzzer, who's coming in? Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely see a drop-off in um, Kulisewski's and uh, Benton Kerr's form from, you know, the very, I mean, they really hit the ground running, didn't they? And I think they've tailed off a bit in the last kind of two or three games. And I think I mean, form is... I find form really interesting. Um, I think people have, you know, quite often, you know, look for reasons why something isn't working, you know, whether tactical, which, you know, <laughs> we've done a bit already and I'm sure we'll do a bit more of, or, um, you know, kind of the opposition. But um, form is a bit of an in- intangible. And I think, you know, kind of anyone who does anything creative, you know that, you know, sometimes you could do exactly the same thing as you do any other night. I kind of think back to when I've been DJing and I've had nights where kind of everything goes right. Everything I try just comes off and I'm not really doing anything different to what I've done other times, you know, other nights, but it's just, it's just the feeling in the room. It's there and you, you know, you, you can't go wrong. And I'm, I'm sure you've had kind of times when you've been surfing like that, Ricky, where you just everything comes yeah. off and you just kind of feel like in control of the world and you know it's all everything kind of around you and uh, you Absolutely. know you know my my experience of being an elite footballer is is limited to zero but i'm sure it's very similar with that as well and you know steph i mean i'm sure musicians would say the same you know where they just you, you know you could do yeah. the same show same songs but just sometimes it's just it just feels different well yeah, I mean, to your point, yoga very much works like that. I mean, you can, you know, there's 27 postures in, you know, the, the hot room yoga, and you can, sometimes you can do them all. You're like a pretzel, a sweaty one, I'll say, and one that nobody wants to hug, but you're doing it. And then the next that's day... Your, that's your new nickname, Steph, the sweaty pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than some I've had, let me fucking assure you. Um, <laughs> I've had some real humdingers, which I didn't share in that question. And you can, oh, now's your chance. They're... they're well it is my chance james and that's why i'm not going to take that chance am i i'm not going to take that chance i'm just going to stick with sweaty pretzel and say that that might be the best it's ever going to get um but no i mean but it is the same premise you know you can go back to another session and find that you can't you you just can't do them you can't do more than 16 and then you have to take savasanas every five seconds um and it is very much about understanding the ebb and flow of that rather than panicking uh, when you can't. So you make, a, you, make, you make a very good point there, uh, Milo. I think it's well, well observed. So are we panicking in any way, shape or form? Whether that be us, the manager, any of the players? 
What do we think? Have we not got no solutions? Are we struggling for solutions? Well, we're getting to the next question, which is tactics, aren't we? We are getting to that problem, that tactical issue. Well, I was going to say that maybe it's the opposition that are setting us the problems mm-hmm. and maybe we are struggling with solutions rather than, you know, because it's turned that corner because of that by the look of it. We're not taking like, we're not taking ridiculous shots in the last 10 minutes because we're running out of time. I mean, in, in the Brentford game as well as the Brighton game, I mean, we're not the only team in it. Um, you know, there's a real risk that we come away from the Brentford game with another defeat if if we're really unlucky. I mean, we're not, we're not, the only team pressuring the goal. We're, we're, just, we're just looking devoid of ideas. We got very lucky at the end of that game. I mean, Ivan Tony's hit the foot of the post mm. when you'd argue that he should have scored. Mm. I mean, that's the. I mean, everyone's saying it. That's the worry of the scoring the four and five and then reversing that to no shots on target in two games, which is just like a massive turnaround. And but and I think it's really quickly affected us. I mean, I thought we looked quite nervy in the game. We didn't look that kind of connected. We had some misunderstandings on the ball. Loris did a few things. I think Kane did look a little bit. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not sure if his ankle was hurting from the Brighton gangs. He looked a little bit. But there was other moments where, like, Sun and Sess down on the touch line just miscommunicated with each other. I think we took a free kick quickly to Sess, and he was away, but absolutely no one in the middle and things like that. Just, like, small things where you just think... And I think that's where form comes into play, and uh, collectively, mm. because if you know you're not quite on song, then you don't quite have the same trust, or you won't quite try the same things, or, you know, you're going to play it safe... And it's those tiny little margins that are the difference, aren't they? You know, if we think back to that Villa game where the first half was really painful and then, you know, we get the we get the second goal and suddenly we're away. And mm. I think either of those last two games we've had, you know, if we think about kind of, you know, kind of Brighton or you know, Brentford, if a ball had bounced off someone's arse and into the net in the first minute, then they become different games. Mm. Yeah, I think that's what people are saying, yeah. But I, but I mean, going to our good old favourite body language, which of course is a controversial uh, observation always in and of itself, I have to say that one player who repeatedly shows that he seems to uh, appreciate the nature of the sweaty pretzel, uh, which is that even if it's a bit off for 20 minutes, it might not be off for, in 10 minutes' time, I've just got to go with it, is, is Christian Romero, who continues to look accomplished, smart, efficient, and actually in that last 20 minutes, I thought, you know, once again, put forward a very, very good case for the old Hail Mary operative of get him up the field and let him play football. Because I'm looking at Harry and Harry's shrinking where he is. He seems like... And we'll get into that in a minute. I know we'll discuss it. You know, and and Sonny looks as though he's just frustrated. I think, as you said, Milo, I think, you know, Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt tired. I mean, they haven't played much football at Juventus for a while. And suddenly they're in the thick of a top four race when they came to us. So it's to be understood. But it is, you know, I looked, I, I looked, Romero stood, I thought, head and shoulders above in terms of personality. Pick a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in terms of personality. This is the, is this not the moment in the season where poor form regardless of what it is we now are we're in the psych zone this is about personalities and people stepping up is it sorry that was a bit wrong manager (laughs) (laughs) what's a bit was it is it (laughs) is it (laughs) Mm. yes jumpers for goalposts (laughs) but seriously is it are we at that moment i think we could be at that i mean obviously we've talked about this before have we got the mental strength within the team uh but the other thing we're relying on is the mental strength of the manager because we seem to think that that's in the plus column doesn't we you know we're gonna have we've got someone like him but it's, 
I don't know. I'm not sure. And then we can obviously move on to the manager in the sense of the in-game experience of our manager. And does he change things when he should? Does he change things? Is the system too fixed? And then, I mean, admittedly, he's not got other elements to move into that system because as we discussed, he's probably got an extra, beyond the 11, he's got an extra two, three players that we trust and that's it. So how much can he change? So here we are. We are at that moment of the pod where we're going to, I'm going to ask you this following question. And it's a fingers on the buzzer. Whoever feels comfortable going first, go first. Um, and if you're not comfortable going first, I'll go first. What would you have done if you were Antonio with 20 minutes to go? Uh, I, I'd have brought on Bergwin. Um, I certainly wouldn't have been bringing Sanchez on um, for Sessegnon. I didn't think that really achieved much. Okay, Sessegnon wasn't having a great game at uh, wing back. Neither was uh, Emerson on the other side. But I just think from a an attacking threat and obviously we needed a goal at that point I think Bergwin is probably our best bet so giving Kulisewski you know not not you know he's not he's not impacting games like he was so maybe it's tiredness but either way I would think that would have been my substitution Kulisewski off for Bergwin and maybe move Kane a little bit deeper I think Kane hasn't been dropping as deep as he was back when he was in that amazing form of about a month ago and yeah Mora is not he's not doing it for me at the moment I'll tell you though, if I'm if I'm Conte just stroking my chin on the old touchline there, and I'm kind of thinking, oh no, we're suffering again this week. They're suffering. Again. I'm not. I'm not going to turn around and survey my bench and say, mm. Big Dav, Big Dav, warm up. You're on in five. <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. I mean, I'll do, I mean, he, he really is putting himself in the firing line if that doesn't pay Because if you split that into positive and negatives, the negatives are Davis gets moved out of the position he's been playing gloriously in all ceiling season. Davison ends up at the left centre-back, which we know can be a bit of a car wreck. And Cess trudges off on the far side of the pitch thinking, I've been bombed out of this again, so where do I stand now? I mean, they're saying Reggie maybe had some kind of groin niggle, yeah. so maybe we didn't bring him on. But whether that's true, I'm not sure, because Reggie might just think, well, where does that leave me as well? And the positives we're getting out of it, I'm just not quite sure, really. I mean, he, I think he said something about it might be because they were doing long throws and we might have had to deal with that yeah. better. But... I mean, that's still a terrible one positive that compared to the That is no negatives. way to marshal a game like this, is it? That's just established. No. It's got to say in the, in the post-match press conference that um, it was because he was uh, worried about the threat that they posed from set pieces and wanted to get some more height in there. And, yeah, Brentford do take long throws. So it's, you know, it's one of their tactics, isn't it? But yeah. I don't think Davis has done a lot wrong from set pieces, particularly since um, since he moved into the centre. I wouldn't have said that it was a, a weakness. I mean, I think yeah, we were struggling to get balls into the box so I think you could make a case for saying that Davis is a better crosser than Sessegnon certainly got more experience so getting him up the pitch might make sense but you know previously what we've done well is getting our wide center backs up into the up into the channels and making an extra man in attack and you know we did it a bit more in this we did it more in this game than we did against Brighton but we just look a bit more rigid don't we I think these last last few weeks a little, little, little bit stiff going back to the beginning of our chat I think the slight worry was is that Brentford didn't really bring the game to us in the same way as Brighton or Villa did in no, that first so. half so we did actually have a bit more space but we were yeah. still a bit just static a bit, and a bit just, yeah. just so, yeah a bit stiff that's probably a good word yeah so as Milo knows I'm chomping at the bit to tell everyone what I would have done as Antonio Conte in the last 20 minutes and I am trying to think of things that and he thank you very much done. for joining us on the game is back glory <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week to talk about <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, oh, dear. 
It's like walking into. It's like the sweat. The sweaty pretzel walked into yeah. that, didn't he? <laughs> oh no! Your... <laughs> oh my god! I've not only have I just reinvigorated a, a horrible nickname. I've spoken <laughs> of myself in the third person, which is surely <laughs> treading into the land, the no-go zone of the pod world. I apologise to all listeners. Yes, there is wanker chat. So if this doesn't get edited out, if Milo's not feeling generous and this doesn't get edited out, I wish to apologise for that awful pod faux pas. And uh, now that I've done that and apologised and done my English bit, I'm going to tell you, I would have gone 352, I would have taken Royal off and I would have dropped, I would have bought Bergwijn on and I would have put Harry deep left, right next to, uh, at that point, it would have been Cess. Um, if Reggie had been fit I might, or, or half fit, I might have substituted Cess for Reggie just because he's a bit of a bomber. And my reasoning for this is that, and I watched this, I watched the game back, you know, Harry was dropping, but he's dropping in a straight line. He's dropping into the middle and it doesn't help. It's not helping. It's not helping him and it's not providing anything with the team. The couple of times I saw him in the second half going into that or in that deep left role, the 83rd minute he was left deep due to defending, but he immediately turned and fed a great ball out to Kulu in the wide right. And the much maligned Royal actually at that point had made a channel run and was just Kulu couldn't find him, you know, and in 91 minutes, you know, he was deep wide left again and he just, you know, there was loads of space and he found Benton Kerr advancing and we, again, we didn't really do much with the ball, but I just think he's either going to be followed into these places or he's going to be left and either way there's a benefit because if he's left alone he's the best passer we've got if he's followed there's space for someone like you know uh, Romero in that last 20 to carry and to find people or, or Bentoncourt so that would have been my change because Bergwijn can sniff the goals out of number nine Milo's waving his hand uh, because he's desperate to, I know I could go on about this forever but I won't I promise I'm just going to stop now but that's my plan. I've advocated three five two for since Conte came in. I think it is tricky um, because of the way he trains the team, because of the way his teams play uh, with the automation. So very, very kind of prescriptive and with little space for individual um, freedom or creativity to do those kind of system changes because the players are making runs at set times when set things happen that they've worked on in training. So to change, if you change that system, those players aren't there to make those runs, which makes it quite difficult. And I think it's the kind of thing that might have to wait until next season. Um, the only way I can see around that is, you know, we have changed, we have played five in the middle a handful of times under Conte. It's worked pretty well, actually, when we have done it. But I think we probably need to train all week for the game with that in mind and then we could revert to 3-4-3 from that position but I don't think we could set up or train all week for a game at 3-4-3 and then switch to 3-5-2 very easily um, and it's come off within a within a Conte system. Yeah I think your alternative in that case is you can uh, okay you, you you still substitute for, for a 3-4-3 if you will I mean you know albeit you push Kulisevsky to, to right wing back take Royal off and put Bergwijn uh, up top but you're still I still want Harry to be dropping. Maybe you give Harry more of a Christian Eriksen type freedom to drop and be the world-class player that he is and to, and to dictate that last 20 minutes and actually give him the responsibility. By the way, I'm going to correct myself. 91 minutes, that deep wide left loads of space finds Bendenkor. That ended up with him narrowly missing with the overhead mm. kick. And that was inches. So it just goes to show, I mean, you know, you got 20 minutes to go. He can create and maybe end his own. I just feel we need to, we need to give him the power yeah. to be what he can be in that last 20 minutes. Yeah, I think, I mean, 
we know what Kane can deliver, and I, I agree with you, Stefan, with the way things are at the moment, that maybe we need him to be the creative force again, because, I mean, our fourth, number four and number five attacker are our two wing-backs, and we're just, we're kind of going in reverse with them at the moment, because we've lost, yeah. we've lost some of them, I mean, Undoubtedly, I mean, some of Kulu's dip might be because Doty's not there. I mean, it could be that because he is a Doty is reasonably intelligent when it comes to connecting up and making runs, and he's just not getting that from Royale, I don't think. But um, no, he once so, again, whenever Doty moves, uh, was moving, he was being tracked. Mm. He was being. It's another space opened up, and at this point, as we've agreed, there's such such little trust in the squad outside 14 players. What mm. can you do with the talent you've got? And and you know, Harry is and since. You kind of have to sacrifice him. He's not even... Look, he's a brilliant goal scorer, but he's not our leading goal scorer this season. Son is. And as Milo and I have discussed off off pod, and I'm sure you would all agree, seeing Sonny drop back, it doesn't help anyone because he's not going to find that pass very often. And Kane's the best passer possibly in the Premier League. I mean, in simplistic terms, Kane can come deep from being up front and he draws someone with him as well. And as you say, he can fit some other speedsters in, whether that's Sun and whether that's Bergwin, that might be another way of kind of mixing things up. But it has to be to the left because if he just drops into the hole, if he just drops straight, then it just bungs everything up in the middle. So I don't know. That would be be what I would be doing. And there's five games left. We have to try something. I mean, I I don't think it's necessarily a different system what you're talking about here i mean what you're really talking about is harry doing you know kane doing what he's been doing in our good games under conte and you know one of the things that he's you know normally pretty good at is movement and drawing people around and um these last couple of games that hasn't really happened and you know both both games you have people sticking rigidly to him and uh not giving him the space but it's with modification it's with the modification that he pulls off wide and goes wider more than central that's that that's the difference in these moments but that's where the space is because in this game you know Brentford were clogging up the middle um right. you know, if we think if we think back to kind of last weekend um you know Brighton were clogging up midfield and then when we had the ball dropping very deep and not allowing Kane space between the lines um you know Villa actually you know before they until they ran out of steam was very similar with added threat of physical violence and um uh you know but so it hasn't quite been the same each time but you're right I mean wherever those pockets of space are you you want him finding them because he's our most creative player he's our best passer against Leicester it could well be somewhere different but you know you really want him give him license where he can, he can get the ball and do the most that's with it that's the key mm. give him the license because as you pointed out we are and as I think we all know we are a team of automations and structure and there are certain movements that are hammered and hammered and hammered and, that's, and so this would require Antonio to do something that perhaps he's not as comfortable doing give harry the freedom he has done this if you think about you know the games well then it comes down to really well so you know and i think him and him and son swapping positions is fine you know the son leading the line and kane dropping you know wide left which is what you're talking about there and having space to occupy you know that area of the pitch or he could do the same with kulu on the other side depending Mm. on you know what's working that's fine that we should be doing that we should see movement amongst our front three kane should have license to drop deep and someone should uh, fill his space that's what we should be doing and we do do when we're playing well 
and this is where Antonio prescribed Bergwijn as a potential number nine answer. And I think we discussed off pod. It's very obvious that unfortunately that relationship is somewhat fractured. Um, it is a shame because I see in 20, with 20 minutes to go in games like this, I, uh, to me, it makes so much sense. Bergwijn knows how to sniff those spaces out. Mm. Sonny's at his best when he's playing up top. Kane is wonderful from deep playing passes. Uh, you know, I mean, it just, it makes so much sense. So I, I don't know. I don't know. We can. I think we all agree <laughs> that Kane is the answer, and it's a case of maybe moving him into more unorthodox areas of the pitch than that which we're used to seeing him on a regular basis. He's the answer, but he's also he's got to accept that he's also part of the problem. I mean, he's had 180 yes. minutes of absolutely poor standard t- t- up top play. I mean, yeah, okay, that overhead kick was a great effort, but his his efforts in these last two games have not been good enough. If that was, um, you know, we've barely got another striker to compare, but if that was Dane Scarlett who'd been thrown in for these two games because of injury, we'd be saying he's, he's not up to it. So Kane needs to be accountable, I think, for two extremely low quality performances that have potentially fucked up our top four chances. That's a bit of a mic dropper. I don't, I don't know if I'd be quite as harsh, uh, to be honest. I mean, again, we look at lack of service that he received. But I, I do, where I would agree with you is, I am once again looking for the leadership to step up on the pitch and do the things that are necessary to win the game. And, and he is one of those people. And mm. so it's a case of how you get him to achieve that um, and give him the freedom that he may or may not feel to do it. You know what the problem is? I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Conte said we had seven cup finals to the end of the season and we know what Harry Kane's like in a cup final. (laughs) (laughs) It does. I mean, you've hit an interesting little slipstream. Harry is, in the greatest sense, a dog soldier, isn't he? He commits himself to whatever manager is, is, is in charge of him and he does that manager's bidding until he dies at his boots. Maybe not Nuno. Right? No. <laughs> Maybe not Nuno. To no. Fair enough. Nuno accepted, but he really, you know what I'm saying. It's a good point, but you know what I'm getting at here. You know, and again, I don't want this to be, you know, look, last week we spent time talking with a, week, a couple of weeks ago about how brilliant Harry is and he is brilliant. But I just, I wait to see the moment where he's going to turn around and single-handedly do things that maybe break the plane of the training field and break the plane of the moment of the game and just say, I'm doing this, whether it's an automation, whatever it is, I'm doing this. This is what's happening. And and just take the game by the scruff of the neck. I, I, I Maybe I expect too much. We probably do. And look, as, as I say, I don't want to criticise the guy because you're right. I mean, he is, he's incredible and we work praising him to the you know to the max a few weeks back but um and that and that overhead volley could have could have crept inside the post and we'd be you know singing from a completely different hymn sheet tonight but um it it can't all be blamed on him but he has to take some of the responsibility for what is essentially quite a long time to be flat 180 minutes is a long time we're not talking about playing against Chelsea away or you know up at Anfield we're talking about two teams that should give you chances and player for player aren't at the level that we are. But they haven't given him chances. I mean, I think both Brighton and Brentford, again, as we said last week, are really, really well-coached sides. They, they, you know, they'll stick to a game plan. And Kane, in neither game did Kane get a lot of space. And, um, he, you know, he struggled with that. But again, I think also this comes back to kind of you know, form and it being an intangible. You know, um, Harry Kane is still the same player. He's still one of the best strikers in the in the premier league in the, in europe um but you don't you know you, you know for, form ebbs and flows it do, it's not something you can turn on and off 
Let me conclude this. Harry, if you're listening, listen to the master, the sweaty pretzel. I sometimes go through sessions where I can barely do up my own shoelaces. I often go through sessions where I am indeed the sweatiest of pretzels. But just believe that you are always a sweaty pretzel, even when you can't do up your own shoelaces. Harry, if you can turn that metaphor into form and football, I believe that you will find the spaces on the pitch that are going to help us progress. Patrick incoming against Leicester. Yes, and new nickname for Harry, the sweaty pretzel, if he does. (laughs) I think Peter Crouch was probably the most pretzel-like footballer we've ever had, not Harry Kane. (laughs) I mean... I think if, if if Peter Crouch is attempting to do a, a, a scissor kick, then there is grave danger that he ends up pretzel shaped. I think of I, when you think, when you talk of dry, salty snacks, I always think of Peter Crouch as more of a twiggler, I, actually. But you I'm know, there about, we go. I'm, I'm thinking about the proper doughy type of pretzels, not not the oh, not the airline issue standard. Oh. Like this is our excuse for a snack pretzel. You're talking about a proper East Coast of America pretzel, the well, giant Germans. that you get. <laughs> Yes. There you go. Now, there we are. Yes. I've been in America too long. I think America's invented everything. Uh, With apologies to all of our uh, German uh, listeners for that, uh, for robbing you of your national food. (laughs) Anyway, uh, there is a food joke there to be had, but why don't we just go to closing thoughts of one positive and one negative. Um, Fingers on the buzzer. Three, two, one, James. Okay. Positive is... Top four still does remain in our hands. And the negative is the wing-back situation, which we still are heavily reliant on for the remaining five games. And unfortunately, I don't see a huge light at the end of those uh, two out-wide tunnels. Ricky? Uh, Quite simple, really. My positive is we didn't lose. And my negative is we didn't win. (laughs) Oh, the Zen master has hit us all. The king of the waves has surfed in with a real humdinger there. I love that. Milo, top that one. <laughs> well, he's, he's nicked one of them, but um, so I'll, probably, I'll, <laughs> oh. I'll, 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 I'll try and nick the one that I think you were going to go for. So I think my uh, my positive was Romero. He had an excellent game. Uh, my negative is I think the nerves are getting to us a little bit. I think it's um, it's squeaky bum time and um, and we're squeaking. My positive was uh, Christian Eriksen, seeing him play as well as he did, but also seeing the the wonderful uh, interaction that he had with the fans in the corner. Um, and as you quite rightly said, Milo, that the, the the shared love there still is between him and his former teammates. It's it's nice to know that you know in this dog eat dog profession of football that there is still you know genuine warmth and and love that can be shared throughout and that that, that was that was really great I was really delighted to see that go down and happen and it was a positive that he didn't beat us let me just say that so that's a double positive for me because I thought he could very easily have been the difference and was going to be thankfully he didn't Um, the negative is actually for me it's with Antonio I have to say and I love him we're blessed to have him but he looks to me like he's a little nervous and we're so reliant on him as a touchstone for our emotional health as a football team right now that it's really up to him to, to, to I think, to drag us across the line in this top four battle. As I've said from the get-go, the manager for me was always going to be the difference. I want him to be the difference and he just doesn't look quite at the races right now. Um, so let's hope that he can you know, project a little more of that. Uh, and maybe he's doing it at the training field and we're not seeing it, but... 
that was my negative is really come on come on my friend on Conte briefly something I've noticed so the the last two weeks he's been wearing uh, polo neck polo necks under his under his jacket and he wasn't doing that previously I wonder whether it's just kind of COVID whilst he's not infectious anymore whether there's still stuff knocking around there could be yeah interesting well if it isn't COVID Antonio then you know we live to tell you that such superstitions cannot be messed with. Get back to what you were wearing before and, and, and enough with this fashion tomfoolery. That's if that's what it is. If it is COVID related, then um, let's hope that. Or, you know, or Larice has got a job lot of them and has given them to everyone because obviously we saw Dyer wearing a, one for <laughs> Delhi's birthday it party. It's, you know, maybe it's just something going around the squad at the moment that everyone's. Look, looks like they're off to a jazz club. The cynic in me would say that Daniel's made a deal with, well, we do have a deal with Hugo Boss, right? And that he's like, hey, you've all got to wear the polo for this, this spring collection. We should probably he, look into that. He, he used he used to run Mr. Byright, didn't he? That was the family firm. So maybe they, they found some bankrupt stock somewhere. And <laughs> Antonio, Antonio Conte in Mr. Byright wear shocker. You heard it first here on The Game is About Glory. We leave no stone unturned in our quest to find out whether our top four chances are in jeopardy and why they might be. They'd be 100% nylon, though, wouldn't they? I think that, might, that, that might play habit, habit with old Conte's hair. So when Conte's hair well, that's that's why we're not scoring goals. They're worried that he's going to go and hug someone. There'll be a bit of static yeah. electricity and his hair will go off. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, 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 and there would be hell to pay there, wouldn't there? We didn't actually have a to pay, but it was a nice hair joke anyway. Uh, anyway, that, again, I hope our listeners appreciate the, the, the detail that we go into to analyse the, you know, why our top four chances are remaining so much in the balance. And, 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 and here we are. We're at the moment of the pod where we'll actually dive a little deeper into our top four chances. Um, and I'm going to ask you very briefly, one by one, uh, starting with you, James, and let's keep this first part brief, everyone. With five games remaining, how's it looking for Tottenham Hotspur to finish fourth in the Premier League table? Well, obviously, win win all five and we, we qualify for the top four. Um, a bit that's, that's being very optimistic that we're going to win all five. I think, you know... At Anfield, I'm not expecting anything, and I fully expect one more fuck up. So I think we'll probably get another nine points maximum from the remaining five games. Um, is that enough? Probably not, based on what Arsenal are doing at the moment. Um, so am I optimistic? No, but it is still possible. Okay, that's a good start. You're going for nine points uh, out of the remaining uh, remaining five fixtures with the proviso that you do think Arsenal will better that total. Good start. Ricky? Oh, it's tough now because I think you sort of try and figure something out week after week and then after a while you just step away and think, I can't make head or tail of any of this because all the teams are just up and down and God knows what else. But you want me to say something, but I think... Um, well, that would be preferable, I, yes. Well, rather it is. Than waffling you, you, on, you, rather waffling on, on about the show, fact you it? don't want to make a prediction. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if um, you don't mind, it would be nice for the listener if you commit yourself, yeah. Oh, well, I'll say something, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what podcasting is about, I suppose. Or I won't be on ever again. Um, um, <laughs> well, looking at our fixtures, I mean, looking at what James said, I think um, I think Leicester probably... I, I think although Rodgers is... A tactical coach. I can't see him. I think they'll just be a pretty. That'd be another kind of free flowing game. I think which might mm-hmm. suit us. 
And then uh, Anfield, we've always given it a good go. And they'll be worried about us because we might well do the kind of Man City approach like we do at Man City with defending and then play on the counter. That's always risky for them. We've had a lot of close games at Anfield that have sometimes gone their way and sometimes we've done all right. And then we've got the Gungue. Burnley, I think, could be tough, but that's because they can still be fighting for Hang life. on. Don't... Hang on. And then we've got the Goon game. Burnley could be tough. Oh, no, How dare oh, no, no, you? The, the, no, the, Goon, the Goon game will be what it is. We all know what that's going to be, an absolute fucking hell no, show. No, we don't. I want to know that's... what you think it's going to be. Uh, well, they're not, they're, not, they're not going to play any Villa or Brighton tactics, I don't think. I think they'll... It, I suppose, I mean, the other thing with the North London derby, it would be, depends what happens to each team going into that, whether one team can do with a draw and that's OK for them, or if one team needs to win, so that might dictate... Um, Burnley could be tricky. We're at home, though. I mean, they could still be fine. Like, I don't think Norwich away is bad. But the good, but looking at the other side of it with Arsenal, I think they could easily. I think you you think they're in good form. Man United are just a kind of soccer a shit show, really, aren't they? They're just yeah. they're crap. And anyway, anyone who plays them, it's just a ridiculous game of football. And I think Chelsea obviously bent over for them with a ridiculous selection. And well, that, Chelsea that obviously just hate us so much, right? I mean, they just hate us. I mean, so Le- much. Le- Leeds' form is better. Whether they've kind of secured them up more defensively because uh, Arsenal are reasonably good attacking wise and then they'll have a hard game at Newcastle Newcastle I don't think they're going to let up I think they're they're, they're on and up spirit wise and uh, St James's I think that could be hard and then Everton at home, which obviously could be decisive for Everton. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, that means that. But Everton are still shit, though, aren't they? So that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> you know, even if, even if they can start, they're still shit. But um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's flip-flopping so much that, as I say, I've kind of given up giving any kind of real predictions because everyone says, oh, I'm going to no, push you before Arsenal. I go to Milo. Come on, half push you what? Yes Whether we're going to no. finish fourth or not? Whether we're going to finish fourth or not? Yeah. Did you, yeah. Is that... Yeah, yeah, um, just heartfelt. Word, word association, I think, I, fourth I think place. We, I think we will because I think we'll win the North London derby. I can see us doing that. Excellent. Oh, now, I know we'll, it'll be short and sweet with Milo. I know because he loves a good prediction. He loves to put his uh, head on the block. So I'm expecting this to be brief and, and succinct. Yeah, I, I broadly agree with what Ricky was saying. I think um, Leicester and Liverpool are going to be more open games than we've had recently. With Arsenal, Arsenal did crowd Chelsea out a little bit um midweek last week they so i wouldn't rule out them trying to pack midfield and deny they have that to us before i think a bit. yeah deny ben if yeah. you deny benton kerr and uh and hoybier the ball then we'll struggle so i wouldn't i wouldn't rule out them doing that i don't think they'd do quite what brighton did but they could do something similar yeah i agree on the other two uh you know with arsenal's run i think the west ham away game is tricky for them West Ham would be foolish to bank on winning the Europa League in order to be in Europe next season and they're not going to want to be in the Europa Conference if they can avoid it so they need to get something from this game I mean probably the best thing for us is either they get spanked midweek or they uh, absolutely hammer (laughs) win convincingly and then they you know they've got the decision made for them Um, but they're really they're suffering injuries and suspensions, aren't they? And they're oh, short of defenders that, at the moment. Yeah, that Dawson red card, that was tragic because he's played quite well for them and that's another centre-half gone for them, basically. Yeah. So. I don't think they've worrying. got any left now. Is Sacco injured <laughs> after that Man United game? I think he, he looked like he was coming off. Oh, that's true. Like yeah. 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 yeah, that's a big miss for them if he goes. I agree with you on Newcastle away for Arsenal. I think that's a really tough game. I don't. I think the last team to beat them at home in the league was Man City back in kind of mid-December. So they've had a good run there under 
under Howe. So they're. I think they're second in the form table, aren't they? Since New yeah. Year or something. And yeah. and all of their players are going to be playing for their places because they know that they're going to go out and spend in the summer. So you know, all of the players there are either playing for their place or a decent move in the summer. Um, so I, I think that's a tough game. So you're so you're essentially agreeing with Ricky. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I am. Apart apart from. Apart from Arsenal, who I think might, you know, I think they might try and crowd yeah. us out a bit and 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 stifle us. Uh, I th- can I just um, also say, I think the um, I think we're playing before Arsenal next week, and is that Liverpool game before their Leeds game as well? I think it is, isn't it? I think they're playing mm. Leeds. I think so. In other words, we're playing first, which I think actually is a bit better for us. I think. Yeah, I think so as well at the moment. So as long as they're not twelve thirty kickoffs, which I know they're not, two o'clock kickoff the Leicester game, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, being the Evan Dando of this of this group. Um, I am going to say that I do think we're going to do it. I think we're going to win three, lose one and draw one. Uh, I don't think we'll lose two games. I think we're going to do it not because we're good enough to make top four on our own merits and, you know, fulfill the statistic that I gave at the top of the pod of certainty. I don't think we are, but I just don't see Arsenal being good enough either. And I think they're a little more hobbled and a little less able than we are when it comes to the crunch. And I look at their games against Newcastle and Everton in particular and see those as banana skins for them. I think Newcastle for sure. I know what you're saying, Ricky. Everton are shit, but a good decision at Anfield yesterday and they go one up and God knows what could have happened there. And I think we, I do think we're going to beat them in the derby. But I think we have to. And I think we will. Uh, I, I think West Ham, West Ham's a no-brainer. They're going to beat West Ham. I'm sorry, they will. We've, we've got a good record against um, against Arsenal at home. Yeah, we do. We don't have a good record in, in London derbies this year. and This is a perfect time to, to change that. And I expect our players to step up and change it. I think one of the things with Arsenal, if you kind of look at the, certainly the games over the last week, I wasn't particularly impressed with either performance, I thought, and certainly not their opponents. And I don't really subscribe to some of the wild conspiracy theories about Chelsea that I've kind of heard in some no. quarters. I think they thought they'd won the game before they started. I think Tuchel um, uh, underestimated Arsenal a little, little bit. But I thought both Chelsea and Man United were really shapeless. And... You know, that, I mean, that Chelsea game was just that Chelsea game was just I've I've never I haven't seen Chelsea be as open as I mean as open and takeable as that ever. I mean, they handed no. Arsenal the goals. I mean, obviously it's a results game and they've got six points on the board that we probably weren't expecting them to get and what have you. But if you look at the performances rather than the result, I'm not too worried about those. And I think against no, I better organized against better organized sides, I think Arsenal will struggle. And West Ham, I think, are a well-organised side. I think David yeah. Moyes sets them up really well and they'll always be tough opponents. I was just about to say that because even in that game against Chelsea yesterday, they always are a cohesive side no matter who plays. They can have quite a lot of players out, but they all seem to still know what they're doing and have quite a lot of confidence in each other. And um, I know they've got the injuries and I know they've got the... Europa- I, mean, I don't particularly agree with Milo. I think they're so close to that Europa League. That draw's really opened up for them. And the prize there is Champions League football. And they've basically got to win three games. And like Rangers are in it. Cool. And I'm Trank Frankfurt. I mean, I was saying to you, I think the Conference League semi-finals look tougher than the Europa League. And it's not often. I mean, the, that Europa League, if you look in previous years, you wouldn't have four people like that in the semis normally. So I think they would be... Foolish not to go for that, but they're just up against it injury-wise regardless, no matter if it's a league game or a Europa League game. Yeah, I mean, on that, I'm not saying that they shouldn't go for it. I'm saying that they shouldn't jeopardise the league 
in order to go for it because right. their best chance of qualifying for the uh, for Europe next season is still the league, not the Europa League. See, I'm not sure. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I know what you're saying, but I think they've only got to win three games against quite average teams. And all you're doing is trying hard in the league to get in the Europa League, which you happen to be into the semi-final of it this year, with a chance of winning the Champions League. That's mega money. Look at our last three games. (laughs) Winning three games against average sides isn't necessarily that easy. Now, I would agree with you more if you didn't get Champions League if you won the Europa League. Yeah. That's what no, I'd say. I, I, I because that. that's a cherry on that. the top, but, isn't it? But yeah. I, don't, I don't think they should risk throwing away Europe altogether for that place. And I don't think they will. I think they'll hedge their bets. I just don't think even as a football club, David Moyes will understand for your supporters to stay on side for everything. You don't lie down and get tickled against a, against a London rival. You just don't do that. And I would expect David Moyes to be professional enough. But I mean, I've got to be honest, the fact we spent five minutes discussing whether West Ham are going to show up against against the Goons um, is, is it, I mean, it, it shows you where we're at with this top four race and it shows you how unpredictable it is. Who could have predicted Man United's performance there? And actually, Man United's they, relative bad shit. luck. They are shit, shit, but could you predict it? They are, but would you have predicted the bad luck they got even though they're awful? I mean, there were some very strange decisions in that game, not the least yeah, of yeah, which yeah. the was, five yeah. minutes or whatever it was, VAR, that ended up giving a penalty for a goal that was disallowed for offside. I don't understand quite how that works out. Arteta getting away with geeing up the crowd whilst that VAR decision was being made. It was absolute bullshit, wasn't it? And the crab crab crawling Suarez when he handballed it. Yeah, I yeah. that was a penalty, really. <laughs> Well, and then when was the last time you saw Bruno Fernandes take a penalty off Cristiano Ronaldo? I thought the Ronaldo goal was pretty was 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 a very a tight decision. I mean, there were a lot of things that went Arsenal's way that day. And look, good luck to them. And may we enjoy the same slice of luck at Anfield, which, by the way, is a game I don't think we're going to lose. I really don't. I think that we can end up getting a point there. Um, I think we're we're liable to lose against either Burnley or Norwich. And if I was gonna, if you want me to be a pessimist, if I was going to put money on a game we're going to lose, it's going to be Burnley at home um, that's precisely the sort of game that we choke um, uh, but I think Liverpool is the sort of game that we can get something from but again I, I, I stand by the fact I think it's 2019 all over again and I think we're going to end up tripping over the line despite ourselves thanks to the inept- thanks to the ineptitude of our rival for that fourth spot which brings me to another quick question are they the only rival are Chelsea getting sucked into it or not no. I don't think Chelsea getting sucked into it. I think one thing this weekend did do was just clear the fact that United aren't going for top four any longer. It's um, it's essentially a shootout between them and West Ham for who's going to take the, the, the Conference League position. And um, one thing that worries me a, bit, a little bit is what happens if West Ham do win this uh, com- Europa? Or- <laughs> Nothing. Then they get Champions Nothing. League. We get five teams in yeah. the tournament. Okay, good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Can you imagine otherwise? Yeah, and uh, yeah. And their Europa League place in the league doesn't go anywhere. So, optimistically speaking, it's mathematically impossible for our fourth place finish this season to end with us getting bilked out of Champions League football thanks to one of those statistical anomalies. Thank you, Manchester City. We love you. <laughs> Unless we join the Super League and get kicked out of it by UEFA <laughs> yeah. or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we might, if, if, it's a, if there's a game to go, do we think that we will suddenly just pull out and join a Super League because we're not going to make <laughs> the Champions League and thus, like, quit before we get pushed yeah. in a flouncy... Take our, take our ball and run off, yeah. <laughs> we're not right. playing anymore. So, so just to round this up, we are, we are yeah. all doing what supporters do and finding ways to mitigate our clinching fourth spot. 
but none of us agree that we're, but not all of us also agree that we're not going to win five games in a row. Am I correct? Is that a fair summation? I think that's probably right on the bait. It doesn't really look due to our kind of record that we're capable of doing that. So I think we should kind of measure this a bit by saying that Arsenal are actually in the driving seat. That you know they're they're ahead of us in the league at the moment, and we threw away a really really strong position over the last few games. So you know we we had this pretty much there, and we've thrown that away. But in turn, before us, they threw it away, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why it's just not, we might as well just not really talk about it and just let it all unfold in front of us. So I think that's what I'm saying. It's just like <laughs> if you'd have told me this was going to be the situation in August, I'd have bitten yeah. your hand mm. off. Exactly. If you told me this was going to be the situation on, on the first of November when we just sacked mm. Nuno. I would have bitten your arm off. I'd... And I think that adds to the torment of it because we're actually thinking we shouldn't, we didn't, well, we don't it think does. we should be, we don't oh think God. we should be here, but we we oh. happen to be here. So let's just try and do it. But I was thinking the other day, realistically, I mean, how, I mean, uh, as a yardstick, we are basically four points better than Man United and they are shit. And we're only four points better than them. So, so that's as good as we are, really. So make of that of what you will. <laughs> Well, that's a whole other pod. I could argue. I could argue as to why we deserve a higher level of mitigating circumstance than those fools. Uh, but we'll do that in another pod. Um, but I will say this is the most deliciously spurs of moments in our season, and I think that we're all grateful for it. And it seems like we are, you know, succumbing to positivity, which is good. And so the game is about glory. Feels that we are going to make it. And if you want to figure out how we did, listen back to the last 15 minutes. (laughs) You can sort it out for yourselves. But we've all arrived at the same conclusion. Of course, that will require us to uh, go on Sunday to Leicester City in the King Power Stadium and take on Leicester City. It's It's our place. On Sunday, we host Leicester City, which, of course, if I could read properly, would have told me that we host them and do not go to the King Power Stadium. We go to our very own citadel and fortress of, 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 of genius, the new Wyatt Lane Stadium, where the uh, rumour is that the doorways might have to be slightly increased to accommodate Brendan Rodgers' massive head as he walks into the, the, the ground. Okay, I suppose the question who should play really comes down to do you play Sessignon or Reggie uh, in that left wing-back position? If, you had the, if, if both were fit... Which would you pick? James? Sessignon. Ricky? Yeah, stick with Sess. Milo? Triple Sess. Mm. I'm going to go Reggie and bring Sess on. So I'm going to uh, upset the apple cart there. Are we confident? Milo? I'm hoping that this is a game that plays into our hands a bit more than the last few. So, yes. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> as, yes, as, as, com- as confident <laughs> as a Spurs fan can be at this stage of the season after the last few weeks. We've got a yesish, Steph, uh, Steph, Ricky. Steph, my my nerves are going. Just give me a break. <laughs> I think, um, um, I think, yeah, I think they've got Roma on Thursday, haven't they? So that's they've got their own European semi final either side of our game. So that yeah. that could well help us a little bit. By the um, way, good luck, good luck, Brendan, and your normal sized head when you come across Jose Mourinho. I hope you smash the shit out of him. Anyway, back to normal service. Sorry, Ricky. Um, I'm a confident. Well, I'm actually planning on taking the daughter to this one. I'm going to try and get a couple of tickets. So that's going to be our first game. Uh, so, and I was a bit, I didn't know whether to take her or not, because one, it's quite a nerve wracking end of the season. I didn't want to get like the hump or anything. And also I've then realised, I think the um, West Ham Arsenal game straight afterwards. So I was thinking I might have to sit down in the South Stand with her and we can watch through all that as well while she's bored sense How old by is that she? Time. She's nine. How old is she? She's nine. nine. And has she heard, how many times has she heard you swear before? 
Oh, quite a lot of times, yeah. In the oh, okay. Yeah, you're safe. You she's can go. A, she's, That's fine. She's away does she like dogs? Does, 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 oh, does she like dog. dogs? Yeah, she loves the dogs. And luckily, my um, my mum got a dog probably about six months ago, So, which was part of Do you like whiskey? Of, uh, yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I can so, do a tipple of that. <laughs> when you bring her, come out of the station, look for the bomb-sniffing spaniel. She pets the spaniel. You get a, you get a snifter in the ground and we'll be sorted. Photo evidence. Shall I post this one up? I, I trust good, you. I trust yeah. you. <laughs> just, okay. What if Ricky pets a dog and she gets a whiskey? Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's up. That's up to that's up to family Ricky, um, and, and they can sort it out however they wish to. However, yeah. it happens. Split duties at the very least. Or if you fit, no, I, I, I was going to say if you feel that you know one of you is up to the full Monty task and just taking it on as a solo venture, Oof, feel free. I wonder what you meant. Then. However, it works out. <laughs> <laughs> however, it works oh, out. I, ex- I, I can. The tradition must go. Ricky, if you do streak and run across the pitch, can you write the games about glory on your ass cheeks? I'm actually going to interrupt. I'm going to give you the last word on the confidence here, James, and I'm going to interrupt and say my confidence has just shot from uh, sort of a, a, a maybe to 120%. I feel the power of family Ricky is going to bring the game home. I, yeah. I really do. I believe in these ridiculous things, I, as if, you know, if, and I just – the fact you're bringing pressure. it to a first game – yeah, and the fact that oh, you will be writing phrases on your ass cheeks and running across the pitch. I mean, what, what's not to believe? And if it's going really badly, I will, I will send her on as a kind of one-person pitch invasion to try and get the game abandoned. <laughs> obviously, obviously for climate change, I'm sure, but, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. She'll padlock herself to the goalposts. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that 5.38 have us as... Um, 64% chance against Leicester. Oh, what do they know? Christ's sake. Based, on, based on. on previous weeks, absolutely nothing. Whiskey, but, um... Spaniels, dude. Whiskey and Spaniels and, uh, you know, language yeah. on your oh, ass cheeks. It. That's it's what all it's on, coming it's down all on, to. It's all on whether or not Jay's daughter's all... a good luck charm. <laughs> and Ricky's ass can project the message. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that for there. <laughs> yeah, maybe just shoot here. If you stand behind the goal, Ricky, just m- m- moon at Kane. Uh, there you go. There right you go. on the backside, yeah. I love it. Good God. I, I, hope that, I hope that Antonio does listen every week, as we believe he does, because Antonio, you can keep not, your 3-4-3, three, not... three, and, here's, and here's the bonus. You, you know, it'll incite Harry to, to hit the middle of the net. He's not running out of tactics that badly, is he? <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is what this is the beauty of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. You must find creative advantages at moments of st- of stress and 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 seeming chaos. I love it. I think we're we're being very helpful. So, well, well, the confidence has shot has shot through the roof here, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh wonderful! Get well, your ass ready, Jay. Know, mate. Give it, give it, give oh, it, give it, it a wash. <laughs> 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 calm down sweaty pretzel <laughs> <laughs> calm down indeed i will calm down but i'm so excited to have come to such a position of extreme optimism uh in the last five minutes about our game against leicester next sunday uh i i, I, I can't wait for the game and i'm sure when the players listen to this pod they will be filled with similar optimism so chaps we have ended the pod on possibly the most upbeat note that anybody could have expected after a nil-nil draw against Brentford. We march forth. We're going to get there. It's going to happen. And family Ricky is going to start it all off by carrying us home 
against Leicester next week. And we will be back next week, chaps, to talk about the game against Leicester. Uh, it says in some other cobbled together nonsense, but I say nonsense to that. We know how this is going to happen and how the job's going to get done. So thank you very much, chaps. Thank you indeed. <laughs> you, our dear listeners who have been exposed to our uh, knowledge uh, and, and coaching prowess, can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow, say hello. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Don't forget to tell your friends. And if we beat Leicester, I implore all of you behind the goal at the park lane to bear your cheeks when the gooners come to town because that will surely invite even more goals than we will score on Sunday. As always, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.